Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the I Don't Get It podcast. I think we have a very, very interesting topic today. If you guys saw the Paris Hilton documentary where she discusses her time being, like, kidnapped by basically a a rehabilitation center for troubled teens. In case it was kidnapping as it was, like, her parents wanting to put her in jail. <laughs> Yeah, we all hear about troubled kids going into the mountains and uh, trying to become good kids or whatever by the parents' standards. So we're going to talk to a man today who was actually put in one of those camps, what do, I'd what say. What do you call them? Camps? Well, we'll, call, we'll ask him. Yeah. Yeah. A camp to to not be gay anymore his parents wanted him to not be gay so right a and we so of they different put kinds him, i believe yes like for right. like other, for like a whole bunch of things like just it says like in the stats that he sent us there are over six thousand children kept in residential treatment centers that's what they call call it's, them it's crazy um and for behavior change and of all kinds yeah it's, it's basically very much abuse is what we're coming to find out as years go yeah. on and what will be interesting, what I'm interested to ask him about is conversion therapy in general, which is yes. so horrid, horrid and terrible. And it'd be interesting to hear like what it is, what it is yeah, what and it how it goes down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. All, all right. right. All right. We're going to get Joshua in and he's going to tell us all about his experience and how he's uh, campaigning to make this stop. All right. Well, we got Joshua on the phone and he is the author of a new book called Breaking Code Silence. And it's actually also the name of his foundation, his organization that he has founded in order to help stop these camps. Well, okay. First question there, Josh, what are, what should we call these in this discussion? Yeah. So uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, So we term it, or it's been termed the troubled teen industry because they're mm. they're kind of primarily focused at uh, vulnerable teens who their parents are really frustrated with their behavior or whatever, and so they're targeting like that troubled teen, mm-hmm. if you will. I feel like that's very Dr. Philly. I feel like they Dr. Phil puts a lot of people or kids in these camps. That's immediately what I think of. Whoa. So do you, okay. So can you tell us like about your personal experience with these and like how you are basically kidnapped? Yeah, for sure. So um, back in 2006, I was 16. I had just come out to my family um, as gay and they kicked me out on the street and I kind of like couch surfed for a little bit between my friends. Um, 
houses. And two months later, my parents called me and said, you know, hey, we want to meet. We want to talk about you coming home. So my mom picked me up and I'm thinking this is, you know, a great first step in the right direction. And we start driving and she pulls over about two blocks from where she picked me up. And these two big guys uh, step out of another car. (gasps) They open our doors. They undo my seatbelt, rip me from the car. My mom's crying. She's emotional. Uh, They throw me in handcuffs and put me in the back of their car. And uh, I didn't know at the time, but my dad was parked about a block away watching from his car. And uh, at that point, um, grew up in San Diego. So we drove from San Diego to Vegas, hopped on a plane, flew up to Spokane, Washington, and then drove another three hours to Montana, where I spent the next year at this facility. Did you know what was happening as soon as you got in the car and you were handcuffed? Like, did they tell you where you were going and who yeah, like, Did you even were? know that these existed at that point as 16 years old? No. So like, they didn't tell me anything. So as we're driving, you know, towards Vegas, I was thinking like, oh, maybe they're taking me to like an intervention. Maybe, maybe they're taking me like to a therapist. Like I didn't know. And then five hours later, I'm like on a plane and then ends up being three in the morning. And I'm in this trailer in Montana, getting my head shaved. I'm getting strip searched. They're doing a cavity search and I'm being like sexually harassed basically as they dig through my bags. And, uh, and kind of dehumanize you and take away your identity. Did they um, it's, say it's, your parents arranged this? Yeah. Well, yeah. They, what what, so what they, was the conversation they, like on the, yeah, the route and the traveling there? Like, So they had like a folder of documents. They didn't really show me any of it, any of it but what they did say did check out. Um, my parents had hired them. Um, they're a company that does this transportation service. And... Um, my parents signed over 51% custody to the school. Mm. So they were operating on behalf of my parents and they had the right to do it. Um, it's like basically a legal way of kidnapping your kids. And and for most of the kids that get sent to these programs, they do it in the middle of the night. So these guys will just bust into your house and they'll rip you out of your bed. But because I wasn't living at home, they had to do it this way. So that's exactly what happened to Paris Hilton in the Paris Hilton documentary that just came out a couple months ago. She describes this one night in their New York City apartment, her, these guys barging in and she thought, I think she she said that she she thought they were being, she was being robbed. And her parents were like, no, 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 you're, you're going with these guys. And they just grabbed her and pulled her out and her sister, I think, had like a pretty scary reaction. You know, she was terrified too. Because she wasn't in the know. She didn't know that that was happening. So she just saw these men grabbing her sister. Yeah. So the place where you went, was it like specific to conversion therapy? No. So um, this is kind of what we're, what we as a nonprofit are trying to do is like really cover all these loopholes because there's mm. 20 states right now that uh, conversion therapy is illegal. However, these facilities operate under the guise of just behavioral modification. Mm-hmm. So you can send your kid there for anything. They could be bad in school. They could be doing drugs. They could, I mean, any, any reason you send your kids there and then, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really horrific. Um, the, the, the troubled teen industry in general, like it covers boot camps, wilderness programs, behavioral modification facilities. Uh, just kind of a blanket of different things, including conversion therapy. And the, the, the background of these programs and like the seminars that they do and the brainwashing that they do while you're in there um, was actually started back in the 70s with a cult called Synanon. And this oh. cult um, ended up doing 
what was called attack therapy. So they basically gang up on you and beat you down. And then at the end of it, they like hug. Mm -hmm. And it's like their way of like basically brainwashing you to feel like, oh, you did so good by like taking all this abuse. Now we're going to like support you and lift you up. So that was like the kind of daily day-to-day environment that we were living in. I want to take a second and talk to you guys about something that's like... I don't know if you guys feel this way, just like being on camera and being a podcaster, but for some reason, not for some reason, it's just so taboo for women to like embrace their sexuality and talk about things like vagina and periods. Like, do you ever feel that way, Ashley, where you're like sort of feel like you have to censor yourself when it comes to like female sexuality? Not really here on this podcast. <laughs> not on this podcast, sorry. In other areas. I, I not feel, on I, I feel like it. it's it's very easy for men to be like, I'm going to go jerk off. I'm going to go watch porn. Mostly when it comes to watching porn or like any sort of thing that is supposed to turn you on. Like anything sensual that's supposed to turn you on. But we're not like that here on the I Don't Get It podcast. You guys are listeners. You know how we are. We're pretty open about that stuff. And one of our favorite um, new ways to to get to, turned on is... Right, and to embrace your sexuality and like yes. explore your intimate desires. Is this, is this a company, it's called Femme to See. They are, it's erotic short audio stories for women. They're ethically produced and they're especially designed to satisfy female desire and provide pleasure. They're steamy fantasies that are narrated by both men and women, but it's just audio. So no images. So you kind of like turn yourself on through your own imagination. Imagine like laying in a bubble bath at night. You have a glass of wine. You put one of these on whether it be a woman narrator or a male narrator, equally good, honestly. And there's kind of mentally getting yourself there and then you mm-hmm. can finish in any way you please. Ooh. But the fact that you can just mentally create these pictures, it's what's kind of sexy for women. You know, totally. it's, kinda, it's, it's good for our imagination. Because yes. remember that saying that men fall in love through their eyes and women fall in love through their ears? Well, that yeah. applies here. Exactly, guys. So you can listen to your fantasies and take time for yourself with Femtasy on www.femtasy.com. That's F-E-M-T-A-S-Y.com. There are over 500 audios exclusively for you guys to connect with yourself and to make the connection just more intense. Use our discount code GETIT. You can save 25% off on our annual subscription. Again, our code GETIT and you guys will receive 25% off on our annual subscription subscription love yourself all year long anytime anywhere it's crazy that we you know the netflix documentary on this has yet to come out it's crazy that like my i'm 31 and talking to you is the first time i'm talking to someone about this experience i think the only thing i can remember in my head of like hearing about this was wasn't there a film with lucas hedges and nicole kidman I think were, I I forget what it was called, but she sent him to a camp. So you show up and you're in this trailer in Montana and then what happens? Yeah. So, so once they kind of like stripped me of my identity, um, they put me in a uniform, they took away my personal belongings, um, dumped me into what they called your family. So it was just a group of about 20 guys that we all shared like one cabin. And um, from that point, I mean, 
the abuse was daily and me being a gay kid who's in a facility that isn't specifically for gay kids there's kids there that were super homophobic so i was not only getting abused by the staff i was also getting abused by the fellow kids um and so i was being sexually harassed i was being forced into hard labor as punishment i mean they would make us do anything from like if you know if, if you were kind of being hard on yourself um they'd say oh you know you're you're acting like a doormat. So every time we go into a new room, you're going to lay down and everyone in your family is going to walk over you. And then... Physically, (laughs) like actually, not verbally walk over you. Yes, physically step on you. And and that is like the vanilla um, of this ice cream sundae of abuse. I mean, we're talking about... I remember one time I got in trouble because I had known about something that somebody else had done. I hadn't even done it myself. But they took us out. This was in the middle of winter up in the mountains. So two feet of snow, put us in sandals, shorts, and a T-shirt, and made us carry logs from one end of the football field to the other for an hour. And one kid ended up suffering like frostbite because of it and having to go to the hospital. So it's like, I mean, and then the problem with these places, and, and this isn't like something that just happened back in the 90s or the 2000s. Like these places are still in operation. We estimate that there's a thousand facilities under the TTI umbrella, still in operation today, um, an estimated 60,000 kids that are housed in these facilities right now. And um, In just America or worldwide? Just in the U.S. um, There was a number of facilities that were U.S.-based that opened up international um, locations so that they could get around some of the uh, Mm -hmm. government crackdown that they had and that's the problem is like the the place i went spring creek um closed down about six months after i was there and the owners just popped up in other areas and opened new schools so even when they do get kind of cracked down on they end up just transferring the kids to other other programs and so these places are legal yes 100 percent. there's there's little to no government oversight um, we're, what we're doing as a nonprofit, um, breaking code silence is really trying to start changing the public awareness of the issue, obviously mm-hmm. first, right. and then tackle the legislation. Um, so we actually had two recent, um, big victories with that. We had the Utah state bill 127, which kind of, uh, Paris Hilton actually went and spoke on behalf of, of the organization and, and on behalf of survivors as a community, um, and got, that passed in the Senate there, which kind of created sweeping regulations for the state of Utah, which is huge because this wow. Utah is kind of a breeding ground for these programs. Wow. Why is that? So long? is it a very, oh yeah, Utah? Why, that, yeah, why, why Utah? is that? Um, it just, they tend to be like Utah, Montana, Arizona. Um, they're just uh, states that are very lax with their government oversight in terms of these programs. And usually we find that there's a religious exemption that allows them to operate with like absolutely no oversight. That makes sense. Yeah. So like so- we actually just passed a bill yesterday in Missouri that finally makes it so that any religious institution like this has to be accredited and they have to do federal background checks on their employees. And which wow. you would think this is a no brainer. They were even exempt from the state fire and safety hazard uh, protocol. What? So now, so Having now all they- those people... Yep. So now in Missouri, you know, any of these facilities not only have to be accredited and do background checks, but they also have to adhere to like the general safety, you know, things that any building or organization would have to adhere to. That's like the kid that got frostbite. You bring him to the hospital. What do you say? Like, 
oh, we did, we're doing because we don't have we didn't have any regulations on if a kid got frostbite and was physically in danger. Yeah, so it's it's <laughs> as um, our community like breaking code silence. What we're why we're named that is because one of the first things that they impose on you is this vow of silence that what happens mm. there stays there. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're named that because we're we're empowering survivors to kind of you know break that code and mm-hmm. um at spring creek specific sorry my voice is a little shaky it's it's always emotional when we talk about this because it's so Absolutely, so real yeah. so i, I apologize yeah. it, it's <laughs> honestly just so brave that you when when i just when we were hearing you talk about like what happened with your mom and your dad being a block away like the fact that you are willing to revisit this mentally and emotionally mm-hmm. just to like help other people and passing you know, all these laws and it's honestly incredible. Like, thank you. No, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, that's, that's really what we're here for is the kids who are still living this, this horrific experience today. That's, that's what we're trying to end. But, but in terms of the like medical stuff, you know, like, yeah, we had this vow of silence, but um, what we found specifically at Spring Creek, and and this has happened at other facilities too, is that they got the local, like the local uh, economy was really bad. So they would open these facilities in really remote areas where they could employ or be the main employer in that city. Um, that's mm-hmm. what happened with Spring Creek. So the local doctors were actually starting to um, do medical procedures that were voluntary. And they were billing your parents as like, oh, your child got sick and had to go to the hospital. But in fact, like they all of a sudden pulled me from my school class one day and said, hey, uh, you're on our roster to go into town see the doctor and I was like well I'm not sick I don't I don't know what that's about and they're like well hey like you don't really have a choice so you go and so I get there and they they literally put me down in the chair didn't say a word to me they shot me up with like nine different vaccines my parents were very anti-vaccine so I never had any my parents had no idea that it was and they didn't approve it and then they sprayed like a local anesthetic on my forehead and my leg and they removed moles and charged as a like non-invasive surgery. So what what our assumption is, and we don't have the documents to prove this, but but as more like ex-employees are coming forward, we're getting this information. They were basically charging the parents like, oh, you know, two thousand dollars for a medical procedure because he was sick and had to go to the ER. Wow. Um, and then the school was taking a thousand, and the doctor was taking. <gasps> Oh my so they goodness. Just, they just wow. looked at you like, well, he needs vaccines and he has got a couple moles. So here's yep. a free $2,000. Oh, this is fucked. Yep. This is okay. fucked. It's super fucked. Yeah. Um, so Ashley and Lauren, I, it was my friend Sabrina's birthday and I got her the most thoughtful present. What was that? So I pride myself on being very thoughtful and there's this new company called NoteCube. It is so cool. So it's basically this wooden box and you can get the person's name engraved on the top. And this is a gift for anyone. Like it doesn't have to be a friend. It could be a family member, like your husband, wife, whoever. Um, and it's so cool. So it comes with a stack of notes mm-hmm. in the box and on their website, you can put pictures on the back. You can actually edit. And all the thoughts are like really nice things. Like, so basically this 
is how it went down. I went on the website and then I checked marked all the things that she is like trustworthy, loyal, like loving. And they already have notes for those things. So this is like for the extra lazy, thoughtful person, basically. <laughs> but, but I obviously went, you know, went a step further and like edited, you know, some of the things they wrote and I added pictures of her on the back. And when I gave it to her, she was like, this is the most thoughtful thing. And it's so cute because people can put it on their desk or anywhere. And when you're having a bad day, you just take a note and like read like what your friend or family member thinks about you. That That is very nice. So cute. That's nice. That's a great idea for Father's Day, anniversaries, birthdays, weddings, Valentine's, like all the, all the things. And it comes in an engraved wooden box. So that's really nice. It's a nice little keepsake item. Um, and it looks like pretty out on your dresser, on your desk or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you guys, because you're I Don't Get It listeners, we have a special code for you for the next time you need to buy a thoughtful gift. You get 20% off using the code I Don't Get It. And you can get them at thenotecube.com, free delivery worldwide. Um, it's easy to create and it lasts a lifetime. So check it out. 20% off with the code I don't get it at thenotecube.com. So did your parents have any idea it was going to be like this? Or did they think that it generally, genuinely could be a place to quote, quote, help you in the way that they wanted you to be helped? Did they think no. it could be violent in any way? Yeah, traumatizing? No. I appreciate. I appreciate that question because the parents are victims in this too 100% they are led to believe that this uh facility is going to be you know character building and it's going to help your child and and in my case it's going to you know quote unquote fix your mm-hmm. gay son so they're led on with all these big uh you know big promises that they just it just is falls so short of that and and with the no government oversight there's no way for these kids to actually submit a report when abuse happens Mm -hmm. Um, we had in spring creek specifically we had girls who were getting pregnant by the staff we had uh cases of rape there was um suicides that happened with the kids uh a number of uh really egregious um they they had this spot called the Hobbit, and it was basically like a five foot by ten foot room with neon fluorescent lights that were on all night. And you were given half diet, and you could be locked in there for weeks or even months. And it's just that's you're put on isolation, and so uh, your communication in and out is completely monitored and restricted. You if if you have good behavior, you might get a fifteen minute phone call once a week with your parents. And you so, would go into this hobbit hole when you did something bad, quote, quote? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was usually put like you were put on isolation because you did something bad. I was put in there one time because I kicked over a table. Like I was, oh, I was pissed, God. pissed one night because we had this like all night. There was some guy who would sit in there at a desk in the room with a light on. And like, he would kind of watch everyone to make sure no one like kills themselves or anything in the middle of the night. And so I just got so pissed because he would always bring us like smelly, nasty food. And so there was one night where I was like, it was, it was actually right after I had done the, the snow carrying the logs. And at that point, like I was already level, level zero, zero points, like everything's a point system. So they dropped me down to nothing. And I was like, I have nothing to lose at this mm-hmm. point. So I kicked over his table and was like, fuck you, Bob. <laughs> and wow. so they, they tackled me, restrained me, and then threw mm-hmm. me in isolation for three days. 
Wow, it's literally solitary confinement and like yeah. torture. This is... yeah, we're, it's it's stuff that we're not even legally allowed to do in our prison system. Like that... this this type of abuse is illegal for adults, and yet it's going completely untalked about because of um, how controlling they are over these kids, and the parents are just gullible and, and desperate. So, how long were you there, Josh? And you were sixteen. I was like 17 to 18 around that time. Um, I was there exactly a year. My parents paid $80,000. That was my one. That was my next question. A year? I'm thinking you're there like a month. It's like an Ivy League education. Yeah. Oh my God. It's like more than a year at Harvard. Yeah. And we find that um, there's a number of um, kids who are sent to these places that are court ordered from the juvie mm-hmm. system. And also when the foster care system is overloaded, um, they have been known to funnel kids into these programs too, as a place wow. to house them. So these are kids who have already faced an immense amount of adversity in their lives um, and are being funneled in. And the state is paying sometimes up to $600 a day for them. What the? Fuck? And they're in there for potentially years. How is what is the program and curriculum and how is progress according to their standard as the fucked up camp? How is progress tracked? Like, when do you get to go home? Do your parents decide? Do you decide? Are you taking tests? Like, are they, are they evaluating you? Do they have psychologists coming and showing you Rorschach painting? Like what's going down? Yeah. So, so in terms of like education and in school, in the school system, um, it's a lot of, at least I'll speak for my experiences. Um, Spring Creek had donated homeschool books that were like from the eighties and nineties. So they were like super outdated curriculum. The accreditation was like really lax. It was through some like private, uh, religious, uh, school accreditation system. So it wasn't up to the local standards. And there's been a number of survivors from Spring Creek who have found that they can't even access their school records since the school has been shut down. They've trashed it all. Um, in a way to cover their tracks and that a lot of people who are trying to apply for colleges and stuff after that they're they didn't even meet the local state requirements even though they graduated um in terms of like getting out of the program like how do you complete that um they have a series of seminars that were based off of what that cult seminon had taught the attack therapy type situations. And so these seminars, you would go in every, it was about every month and a half, they would host the seminars. People from this company would come to the school and host it. And these are multi-day seminars that you're there for sometimes close to like 20 hours. So they sleep deprive you. They give you a limited amount of food. And then they do this attack therapy where they are ganging up on people. I remember in one of the seminars, uh, they made a girl stand up and describe in detail how she was raped by her father. And then they blamed her because she was a whore and because she was presenting herself to her dad and creating opportunities for sexual abuse. And they beat her down and beat her down and beat her down. And then again, just like they do on a daily basis, the last day of that seminar, it's all like flowers and rainbows and love and lifting you back up so that you go back kind of completely like gaslit and brainwashed that like somehow that experience benefited you. So, and so you have to graduate these seminars. And if you don't graduate, then they hold you back and you redo it. And that mm. adds another two months on your program. Oh my so that's God. how they keep people there. 
If anyone listening is struggling with PTSD, anxiety, depression, or a plethora of other mental health issues, we have a company for you. And we've talked about it many times. That's BetterHelp. And BetterHelp, you can talk to a licensed therapist at any hour of the day. You can talk to them on chat, text, um, FaceTime, call, and you don't have to wait in that uncomfortable waiting room where people are looking at you wondering, why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? You can do it in the comfort of your own home. And the service is available for clients worldwide. Um, and they have a very broad range of expertise available, which you may not encounter in your own town. So they have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in anxiety, stress, depression, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ plus matters, grief, self-esteem. Um, it's really professional, convenient, and affordable. It's the best. And so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So friends, we want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash get it. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. It is May. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. Again, that's betterhelp, dot com slash get it. Have you come across anyone like after coming out and writing your book and creating this organization that is still brainwashed that you went there with? Do you know anyone that's still under their like control mentally? Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. We within our community, there's a little bit of division because this when you're a child and there's kids that are as young as seven sent to these facilities, and when you're that young um, and you're still developing, so much of this becomes part of your identity. Mm-hmm. And we find that there's many people within the survivor community that not only don't want to speak out against it, they're actively in a in like a, a mind space that this somehow benefited them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they'll make excuses for it. Which I wanted to ask you about like how this has affected you. And did you know did you know the gravity of the situation in the moment? You know how when you're a teenager, you're like, oh, yeah, that was bad. Or, or a lot of people who have been through really traumatic experiences, whether it's sexual abuse and stuff, they don't understand what's happening, right? And then they grow up and they talk to friends and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, shit, I I was abused. This was traumatic. So when was that moment for you? And And did you realize it in the camp or was it years later? Um, For me personally, like, I definitely realized it while I was there. I mean, like my first experience of the camp was getting my head shaved and having to strip down and take a shower in front of someone. I mean, not to, I mean, it just sounds like concentration camp. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And like, not to take anything away from like (laughs) the Holocaust and all that, but like there's, there's so many similarities of the treatment and the abuse and the way that they treat it's, it's dehumanizing, which is exactly what they did in these concentration camps was they, they took away their identity um, and separated them from their family and controlled them. I mean, there was no clocks, no watches, no sense of time. You weren't allowed to look out windows or you were punished. Um, you had to finish your entire food. Like, otherwise you were deemed um, like self-harming because you were starving yourself. So I gained a lot of weight while I was there too. And um, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I, I think I realized it while I was there that like, this is 100% wrong. 
but I knew that I had to fake it to make it. So I would like go along with the seminars and play into like the, and that's the other thing is they would get part of the attack therapy is that, you know, they would do these group sessions where the, the whole family of boys would make a circle and then one person would stand in the middle and everyone would give them feedback. And part of that feedback was basically attacking them for getting them to like confess their sins, if you will, and then attacking them for it. And then that sounds the like end, Nexium. You know, giving them a hug. Yeah. That sounds like Nexium kind of where they're like, give me, you remember like the blackmail, like you have to tell me like a secret or something. I don't know if you guys watched um, The I, Vow. On I didn't HBO. watch the whole thing, but it, I guess the best way of thinking about this or the mentality that rules the camps is that it's like there's just a cult mentality, right? So it's just like the creators, the managers, they just believe What's that this stuff money? really does work or is it really a money scheme? Um, both. Uh, we, we've, we've found that the people who are high up, um, like Spring Creek was part of a system of schools called WASP. It was WWASP, the Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs. We find that the high up people in that organization were 100% running this as like a pyramid scheme and that they were, if your enrollments were were going up or at least staying consistent, Mm -hmm. they were throwing more money back into the schools and back into the owners of the schools. Um, Then they had these teen help places like 1-800-TEEN-HELP where that's how my parents found out about this is they would call to be like, hey, this is what my kid's struggling with. What should I do? they were paying these hotlines and websites to funnel kids into the schools. So they were getting like sign up bonuses. Major important question here. What are some things that parents can look out for on the internet when they're searching about how to help their teen stay out of trouble and, and for them not to get sucked into one of these? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think the best thing is to do your research because there's, you know, whenever there's an organization, you need to look at the third party um, reviews and things that are going to validate if that's something that's actually going to help your child um, or hurt them. And there's so much available information online right now about these about these schools, but unfortunately, parents are not doing their due diligence. And as we find that that uh, the public awareness of the issue is becoming more prevalent, these schools are now targeting systems like the foster care system and the juvenile detention system. Because that the government doesn't the, the government doesn't care like as long as the child is housed you know they'll pay whatever um, so we're finding that there's slowly being a, a transition in the trend of private uh, paid uh, funding for these kids going to actual public funding for these kids and that's where the kids are coming from more and more today wow. than they were you know twenty years ago. That's where your tax dollars are going. It's literal child abuse. So instead of, yeah, instead of like the government paying for the kid to be in foster care, they're basically using these as if they're foster care? Yeah, essentially. I mean, like uh, we just had a a year anniversary this last month of the death of Cornelius um, Frederick, who was in a, he was a foster (sighs) care kid who got placed Mm -hmm. into one of these facilities in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And there was seven adult males, I think it was seven or eight, that mm-hmm. got on top of him to restrain him, and mm-hmm. he ended up dying. And mm-hmm. the nurse, the school nurse, uh, walked over and didn't even call 911 for 15 minutes. He laid there lifeless until she finally called 911. And so 
and it's all on camera, which is crazy mm-hmm. because these. <laughs> it, 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 the problem is like the the word doesn't get out or, or a lot of the times we think like oh that's just a foster care system and that's kind of like the mentality in america is like you know there's not much we can do about that but but the thing is these these facilities um are for profit and they're privately run and there's no oversight and and if we can get them shut down and then address you know the disparities in the foster care system and all that you know that's i think our what we as an organization are are focused on is just get these places shut down now and then start addressing how we, how we best handle um, these more difficult situations with, with kids yeah. and, and the foster care system and whatnot. It's so funny when I think about like modern inventions, like I, whenever I put my air conditioning on, I'm like, thank God for the person that invented this. Like, <laughs> thank you God for being smart and like coming up with this. And I thought recently thought the same with the person who came up with ZocDoc, it's which I'm sure many of you incredible. listening have heard of by now. But when ZocDoc came out years ago, I was like, this is genius. Like having to make a doctor's appointment is so annoying and it made it so convenient. And now they have an app and it's the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment instantly. You guys, one time I went into the doctors and um, I found out once I got there that they didn't accept insurance. And I'm like, Oh, your in, okay. your particular insurance or any insurance knows any insurance in this oh. case. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And I was like, well, then how much is it going to be? They're like, this much and i was like oh my god like that's too much well i'm embarrassed but i I guess i'll have the appointment and then i'll just have to figure out my doctor life afterward but you don't have to deal with that with zocdoc because it's the it's the easiest place it's a free app the zocdop app the zocdop the zocdoc app is the greatest way to find a doctor and instantly book an appointment and you will be able to figure out with the app if they take your insurance you can read verified patient reviews there you can book an appointment you can book an appointment that's in person or via video chat and you never have to wait on hold with a receptionist again oh my gosh my guy know their the reception the reception time it's it's a time yeah you got you hear that music for a while ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash get it and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's ZocDoc.com slash get it. So they have 51% of your custody, right? So do they essentially get to decide when you get to leave? Cause they have 51%. So they like, say they're running low on admissions for that year or month. They'll be like, well, we'll keep him longer. Cause we have that control. Oh, uh, I think, I think they do it, but they do it in a way that's super manipulative where they're basically feeding your, your parents information about your state of mind and how willing and um, cooperative you are. And they coerce the parents because the parents are actually required in many of these cases to go through seminars as well. So my parents not only mm-hmm. had to pay the 80000 for my year, then they had to pay their, their own way through these seminars that were hosted at like, like uh, hotel conference centers all over the country. Uh, 
Brainwashing on both ends. Yeah, brainwashing on both ends. And then they were encouraged to get my older siblings, my adult siblings, to come in. And when my adult siblings came in, they were pushing them, go get your friends, get your friends. This is a life-changing seminar. So it was like, again, that cult mentality of like, this is how you have to live your life and, and, and just soaking in the money and not put it. That, that's the problem is they're not putting the money into the actual care of the kids. They're mm-hmm. just pocketing it. What a pyramid scheme, man. So you, yeah. so you go home after a year and I, I'm assuming because you said you had to play the game that the little contact you could have with your parents here and there, you didn't, maybe you couldn't tell them everything that was going on. I'm curious to know, but when you get home, what was that conversation like and, and what happened there a year yeah, later? So, so this was right around Prop 8 in California when they were voting on the right to marry. Um, and I came home and there was all these vote yes on Prop 8 signs in the yard. So I felt like I was coming home to a certain level of kind of abuse uh, again, you know, and, and um, in terms of like conversion therapy and whatnot. You and mean, so I but up- I'm sorry, I know it's been a couple of years. So with Prop 8... With your parents having signs that said yes to Prop 8, was that meaning that they were against gay marriage? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So so they, you know, I brought it up like right away. I'm like, you know, I'm coming home to that. Like, that's pretty abrasive. And, yeah. and they're like, hey, you know, well, you're welcome to put vote no signs on the other side of the lawn. And And it ended up like three days after I got home, I was back on the streets. Um after all so, of that, I mean, not, yeah. so did, did you ever reveal, when did you reveal to them what went down there? It took me about 10 years to okay. finally have the conversation with them because I, I couldn't bring myself to, to really vocalize the level of abuse um, and like the really graphic details of, of not just what happened to me, but what I witnessed um, in other people, um, you know, hearing someone be raped and the screams or, um, you know, watching your friends just get beat and you can't help them or getting beat yourself and no one comes to help you. Um, and then, and then just the, the level of like fucked upness that these seminars had. There's actually, um, one of our survivors, she did a short movie. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's about 18 minutes long. It's called lifeboat. Um, it came out in 2017. If you search lifeboat, 2017, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll pop up. And, I encourage anyone to watch it. It gives you a really good insight into how our daily uh, like group therapy sessions were and the amount of like fucked up brainwashing techniques that were used. And then you take that and you like times it by a thousand. And that's what the seminars were like, um, because it was so high pressure that you had to pass. Otherwise, you know, you're stuck for another two months. How did this affect you later in life? I think sometimes we go through things and then we try and do something, whether it's um, get in a relationship or we, you know, buy a home, whatever normal adult thing we're doing. And then all of a sudden there's a block, right? And you don't realize like, why, why am I struggling with this? Have you come across any of those things in your adult life that are tied back to you staying in that camp for a year? Oh, yeah. And and there's not a lot of research about this. So like, that's kind of what we want to do as an org is like, get some scientists and stuff looking at the long term effects. But, but um, I think a big uh, thing that a lot of survivors face is is nightmares, Um, different forms of PTSD, um, anxiety, depression, uh, 
I, we did a poll within our community the other day, and it was something like 90% of the people who responded to the poll um, had been in an abusive relationship post mm-hmm. the program. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it, it tends to, um, the acceptable things that you accept as normal mm-hmm. treatment uh, mm-hmm. tend to be a little bit more dark. I mean, personally, I was in a number of relationships that were fueled by alcohol, drugs, sex, and uh, exploitation of sex. Um, we find a, some survivors have turned to uh, sex work or, um, you know, for a while I did adult film when I first got out because I was homeless. I didn't know how to make money. I had a high school diploma from a junk school in Montana. And I was like, what am I going to do? You know, and opportunities present themselves. Oh, well, just do porn or just, you know, do this or do that. And and so we find that a lot of kids fall back or survivors um, fall into drugs. Um, and there's a growing list of kids who have taken their own lives post the program. I remember there was one kid. It breaks my heart because when I got to the program, he had already been there for like three years. Oh, no. And he, he was he was oh, younger. Yeah, he was younger than me. And he was there until the school got shut down. And the first week he went home, he took his life because a lot of these kids that have been there for long periods of time, they just don't know how to operate in like normal society because you're, you're living in this bubble that is so controlled and you just don't know how to function properly. So we we find that the rates of suicide and depression and, and all of this is way higher. When did you feel like you got on your feet? Um, to be, to be like totally honest, I think it's, I think it's a process. I think I'm still learning. I think Mm -hmm. I'm still unpacking things that I put in boxes and didn't deal with yet. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that finally about the last five years, um, I've, I've had a steady career, um, and that has given me like the financial availability to start unpacking some of those boxes and going Mm. to therapy and dealing with all that. So that has helped, but a lot of kids um, that come out don't have that financial stability and and Mm -hmm. just find themselves, um, you know, just fully wrapped up in it. I'm so happy you said that because it's, it's a privilege to be able to deal with your mental health clearly in society, which is why I started heartbroken. Um, When are, is your program, does it also help people after they leave? Like, does it help survivors sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, adjust back to the real world, quote unquote? Yeah, so breaking Like a puts, transition program, I guess. Yeah, for sure. So Breaking Code Silence um, over the last couple of years has been mostly a Facebook community for, for, for basically the community of survivors. So mm-hmm. it's been just kind of a support system. And we've only just now this last month gotten our nonprofit status. So we're still kind of developing um, our programs. Uh, We have four different areas. We're focusing on advocacy, awareness, legislation, and research. So we're trying to reach out into those main areas um, Mm -hmm. while still taking care of our community. So while like our main goal is to really take down this trouble teen industry and get these places shut down, and then also put into place regulations so that facilities that we can't shut down, you know, like we're not going to shut down the entire foster care system. So we want to have regulations so that kids have the ability to report abuse, um, to have licensed therapists and all that available to them. So, um, 
So part of that like comprehensive plan is to 100% find ways to support our community. Um, and, it, and we're growing like fast. The, the number of people that reach out to us daily and say, hey, I've never been able to talk about this. I mean, we're talking about, wow. we're talking about adults in their 50s that suffered this abuse in the 70s that are just wow. now saying, I'm talking about this for the first time because I actually don't feel alone anymore. That's so crazy. it's yeah I mean it's a really exciting time for us I'm so do you proud feel of like you. a lot of that has to do with Paris Hilton <laughs> yeah I mean like we so we view Paris as like any other survivor like we, you yeah. know she that's she what has I want to know like yeah. we're not putting her I don't I don't know like I don't want just because she's famous doesn't take away from everyone else's stories but she is bringing a lot of attention. awareness yeah, yeah, yeah attention no, yeah we're so grateful for her platform and and like her courage and strength that she has shown um and she's not the only one like we've had Kat Von D uh we've had oh, ba- really? bad yeah bad baby um spoke out and is kind of heading the fight against Dr. Phil right now and how he's kind of oh Lauren kids. was right about that, that. Yeah. oh wait so oh, is okay. that a thing so Dr. Phil really does like suggest or, or suggest parents to send kids to these places yeah he still has a number of TTI facilities listed as a resource on his website <gasps> No. So, yeah. So he's been funneling kids in and, 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 um, and, you know, I'm sure there's a money trail and we're going to figure it out. We're going to find yeah. it out. But, Whoa. but yeah, so, so in terms of, and Misha, Misha Oshirovich too is another one here. He was just, he's kind of a rising actor right now in Hollywood. He was just in uh, a scary movie. I, I can't remember. I think it was called Fright or Scary. I, I can't remember hundred percent. Sorry. But um, he's speaking out in terms of part of our LGBTQ community and and how mm-hmm. there's a huge amount of people within the survivor community that identify as LGBTQ. Um, and I think it's because there's so many loopholes for parents to send their kids here without it qualifying as conversion therapy. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So let's talk about conversion therapy for a minute. Are all conversion therapy places like this or they're not legal in a lot of states, like you said before, right? Yeah, there, there's 20 states right now that have made it completely illegal. But but um, conversion therapy can happen in a number of different ways. There can be facilities like this that are residential centers where you mm-hmm. live there. Um, and, and those we find are the most abusive. Um, there's also like outpatient type 
uh, types of conversion therapy. And then there's also types of conversion therapy that exist within churches where mm -hmm. pastors are trying to act as therapists and, and convert you. And so our view is that any form of conversion therapy is a form of torture. Um, and, and it's inhumane. Right. It's just inhumane. And, yeah. and the cases, I mean, when you talk about conversion therapy specifically, um, it actually started back in uh, 1899. There was a German scientist and psychiatrist who began experimenting through forced heterosexual sexual experiences, as well as shock therapy no uh, and, a, and a number of other like hypnosis and, and really traumatizing experiences. Mm -hmm. um, that's how conversion therapy started. And at the time, it was meant to, <laughs> if you were part of the elite white uh, families and you had a son or daughter who was gay, uh, you wanted to figure out a way to not stain the family name. So they were actually conducting these experiences or experiments on people of color and uh, doing things like uh, castrations, uh, oh female circumcisions, <gasps> all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So that's like the history of how conversion therapy started. And over the last century, it kind of got changed and adapted into areas of therapy and areas of religious uh, therapy services. So it's kind of like changed and adjusted over, over the, over the years, obviously like people aren't doing the more um, medieval techniques these days, but we find that the techniques that they are using are still psychological abuse. And, um, and in many cases, sexual abuse. Uh, it's it's just of, a different form. It's like, it's like how slavery is now prison. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just like a different form now which is yeah. just so insane to me. Oh my God. Hmm. Do you feel like, you know, how did you, how did you come to terms with your own sexuality or was it, were you always like, this is who I am or did your experience with your parents in this camp make you question who you are? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I always knew it, but I was growing up in a really Christian conservative family that like I wasn't I knew I wasn't able to share that with them because I knew that it was going to be judged um so I always kind of knew it but in terms of like as an adult like I think again it's a process like I I still have moments where I'm extremely insecure and extremely self-conscious and and moments of you know self-hate and looking in the mirror and some days you know you feel like a stud and other days <laughs> You're like, who is that person? You don't even know who they are, you know? So it's, I think mental health in general is, is a journey and there's always going to be good days and bad days. But as long as you're making progress and you're talking mm -hmm. about it and you're being open and honest with yourself, um, right. you know, then you're making progress. When you were in the, in the facility, did you feel like you were being brainwashed? Were there times where you were like, oh, I'm giving into this? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I knew that like, I knew that, that you had to fake it, but there mm -hmm. were moments where it's so, uh, it's so ingrained. Yeah. I mean, it's so ingrained in everything they do, um, right. from, from walking to eating to sleeping, like everything has a, a form and a function and it's meant to control you. And so after a year, um, that does become normal. Um, it's, it, it does become survival instead of like faking it. Um, and going along with it, 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 it gets ingrained in your head. And there's times too now where I have, I have issues with, uh, 
you know, relationships, even friendships where Mm. I get really critical because we were taught so much through Mm. that attack therapy to criticize others and that that was helping them. And so I found in my personal relationships, sometimes I get really critical or judgmental. And in my mind, I'm trying to help them and I end up ruining the relationship or the friendship. There's so many layers to this that you've you've had to unfairly navigate through. Do you have any relationship with your family now? Yes. uh, Yes and no. Um, You know, it's really strained. Um, When they first read my my story and, and were hearing about this, they thought that I was doing this to somehow shame them or embarrass them. And, um, and so there's still that level, like we talked uh, last week and there's still that level of um, embarrassment and shame, but at the same time, they're learning um, as the community speaks up, they're learning more about the levels of this. And they mm-hmm. had no idea that this had been going on. Like we did a, a video um, a couple of weeks ago that survivors were able to share their stories and thank breaking code silence for, for the work we're doing. And they're seeing people who are their age and they're like, we had no idea that this was so far reaching. We thought this was just one school and it's, it's an entire system that nobody is talking about. Has the organization and the book um, done anything? Like, have you gotten any feedback from parents that say, thank you so much. I was about to send my kid to something like this. And then I realized what it was. Yeah, we definitely, we have a, um, we have a lot of parent outreach programs that are going on right now. And, and we're learning that as people do reach out um, or they, they send their kid away in a moment of desperation and then they find us and realize, Oh no! Oh snap. Like Goodness. what did I just do? Yeah. So, yeah. so we have, um, uh. we have an entire uh, reporting team that is handling uh, cases with minors and, and people who are still in the program or parents that are dealing with this and how to navigate reporting the abuse and pulling their kids out, finding the appropriate care that they need. So we have an entire team that's, that's addressing that. And that's part of our advocacy team. Um, Uh, So, so yeah, it's, it's um, the work is nonstop. I mean, we're, we're, we're working hard. So what can we do as our listeners? What can we do to help stop these, these camps? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I'm, I think that the, the first and foremost thing is just spreading the awareness that this Mm -hmm. stuff exists. Um, Mm -hmm. And this stuff has been going on for so long that chances are you might know someone or be related to someone that might've experienced some form of this, but just doesn't talk about it. And um, so I think sharing, um, sharing this stuff is first and foremost, like we are across all the social media platforms. If people want to follow us, it's just breaking code silence. Um, We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of that. We have um, posted daily stuff on our Facebook that's where we have our support groups for survivors. If anyone has been through this and they want to reach out to us, um, we have our support group on there. And then, um, yeah, we're just working to get the word out. And, and as a part of that, slowly doing pushes to get legislation um, brought forward. Um, and that's, that's the hard part is, is you can't mm-hmm. really do that until the public is aware and the public is, is behind no, you. Yeah. And they're enraged by it. And we're like protesting outside of it. And what, I, I don't even know if I can ask this, but for, in my head, I'm just like, what's stopping anyone from calling the cops and being like, 
I went there. I know there's some effed up shit going on there. I think you guys should check it out. Or like at what point does the FBI get involved or maybe they are already investigating it? Like, I don't know. Do you know anything about that? I mean, I would love, I would love if the FBI was involved. Um, Does a SWAT team goes in there? Yeah. I know um, without giving like tons of details, I know that there's a number of investigations into some of these people who have been like systemically running these and and they mm-hmm. keep popping it up so there are investigations there's documentaries in the works right now there's there's a lot of kind of moving parts to this that um Good. that are going on but um the problem is that they are legal entities and they within the state laws right now they are able to operate and so a lot of the law enforcement see the abuse as like specific instances they don't see the entire system as abuse Mm. um and that's where we're trying to kind of change that and a lot of times the local police are paid off or or their family members work there or you know it's like that's why they're really careful with where they open these schools because they want it in a in a rural place where um where they can kind of get away with it all jesus so you call them schools can you tell us like what the day-to-day routine was for you yeah, so we would wake up uh, usually around five in the morning. The lights would go on. Um, you either were assigned a morning shower or an evening shower, and you got two minutes. So if you were the first one to go in, you were showering cold. Um, you would put on your uniform. You would make your bed military style, uh, stand at the end of your bed, and wait until everything was inspected. Um, March, uh, you, you had to stare at the person's head in front of you and you had to be within arm's distance so you could touch them if you were caught looking or diverting your eyes from the back of their head you were given a consequence and that could range from deduction of points to getting tackled and beat up how Um, many points did you start each day with 25 okay and uh to give you an idea if you used a bad word or like diverted your eyes that would dock off five points (gasps) oh my god And, uh, I mean, if you did something like look out a window, that was considered plans to escape. And that was a, that was a category five consequence, which meant that you oh were, God. you were dropped no matter what level you were. Cause as you get more points, you gain levels with levels, you get more freedoms and, and, uh, whatnot. So if you were like level five, which is like the top, you could be the top person. If you look out a window you're dropped to level zero with zero points. It's like an involuntary action practically. Yeah. And, and you're not even, you're not even allowed to attend the seminars unless you're at least a level two. So that's how they keep you there too, is if you're continually losing points, you're not even going to get to go to the opportunities to be brainwashed and abused to get out. (laughs) And that's when you lose your shit, when you're at zero and then you're just going to lose your shit basically and stay at zero. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, we would, we would get an hour where we could do like PT, like physical, physical fitness type stuff, which usually was just like out on a basketball court. Like there were some balls and, and Mm -hmm. uh, occasionally they would use that hour as punishment for the whole family. Like everyone had to keep moving. So you would just run in circles around for the whole hour. Um, there was one time we got put on log treatment, which meant that the entire family had to carry a log and it was never allowed to touch the ground. So even at night, we would all sleep on the ground instead of in our bunk beds and have the log <gasps> on top of us. And if it touched the ground, what? we were punished and like additional days were added onto it. 
There was also, um, this is one thing that we're really trying to address is the, the psychological effects of putting someone on silence. Um, so in our, in our camp, they called it black cloud. If you were put on black cloud, if you, if you talk to anyone or if anyone talked to you, they were given a category five consequence. So you would drop down to zero again. And they would put people on black cloud for sometimes days, weeks, or even months where you were completely cut off and could not even socialize with other kids. You couldn't so, speak at all. Could not speak at all. Otherwise, you were, again, anything from dropped a level to physically restrained, beat up, or put in the Hobbit or the isolation room. So we have been trying to address that as a human rights thing, is that if you are restricted from even communicating or socializing with friends, family, or a therapist, that that is a, a serious form of, uh, of abuse and, and should be looked at as a human rights issue. That is so destructive. Like, even if you wake up, you don't talk to someone for a couple hours, you, like, forget how to talk. I can't even imagine a month or a week or a day. That is Yeah, wow. we, we, we find that there's, that happened a significant amount in, our, in the wilderness programs where they would take these kids and just drop them out in the wilderness um, and they would have to fend for themselves. They had to learn how to make a fire. They had to basically eat like a can of beans a day. They weren't allowed to talk to anyone. And that was, that was like standard protocol. And if they did talk, um, you know, I, I talked to one guy the other day um, and he was raped repeatedly for three months, his first three months there every oh day God. by staff and other students, he was raped. And he would wake up and be forced to stand at the end of his bed for sometimes 15 hours. The only break he got was to go eat. And then he would, uh, they would take a bar of soap and put it in a, in a sock and then beat him at the end of the night. Um, to the point that his backside was black and bleeding. And that was daily, every single day for months. And, um, and we find that uh, the, the more the programs are like distanced from somewhat of civilization, like these wilderness programs, the, the abuse is just way worse. Um, and this is, again, like this isn't something, this isn't something that just happened once. This is stuff that's literally happening right now as we're having this conversation. There are kids mm-hmm. in wilderness programs who are being raped, mm-hmm. being sexually abused, being um, beat up. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just wild that the government has not stepped in and, and done something about this held against their will this is what, crazy. what is, is your how is it just uh, like such a secret until now i think because of the because of the background and how it was founded in this synanon cult the methods that they use literally brainwash survivors to never speak about it that is what you are from day one sold this code of silence that you're not allowed to talk about it. And if you talk about it, you're going to get punished. If you talk about it, you're manipulating or you're lying to your parents or, you know, whatever. So we find that again, like what we talked about earlier, a lot of these survivors come out and they're not at a place where they want to talk about it or mm-hmm. that they even acknowledge that what they went through was wrong. A lot of them come out and, and perpetuate this violence with their own mm-hmm. families um, or they go back and they work in there's many that get so brainwashed that they go back and get a job at the facilities <gasps> and then continue the cycle of abuse with more kids. 
Okay. Oh, my gosh. Were there any friendships that formed while there? Did you guys lean on each other? Were you even allowed to talk shit about the institution? Yeah. I mean, at Spring Creek, we were tight. Um, even, I mean, there were, there was like, you know, not cliques or whatever, but there was a lot of kids in my family who didn't like me because I was gay, but there was a lot of them that didn't care. And, and we were tight. Um, you know, you talk about this other guy who was at the wilderness program, they weren't allowed to talk to each other at all. So they weren't even allowed to establish the relationships, but now as survivors, they're starting to reach out as they find each other, you know, years later or, or weeks later, months later, as kids are still coming out of these programs. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had we had a sense of camaraderie, and there were times, very rarely, that you would stand up for somebody else. But usually, that came with a with a heavy cost. So you kind of had to just keep your mouth shut. And you know, if someone was getting sexually touched, uh, beat up, um, you know, whatever, you just had to sit there and accept that that was acceptable. You weren't you weren't really allowed to to speak up or or report it. It's just really unfathomable and it's thank God for people like you who, who've come out the other side, who are breaking that code of silence, creating, you know, your nonprofit, helping survivors, spreading awareness. What is your ultimate um, best case scenario for this, Josh? Like, like what is, what does your dream look like for all these places to get shut down? Like yeah. what is the end goal for you? So our... Uh, vision is to end all child abuse under congregate care. Um, so any facility. What's congregate mean? So congregate care would mean like basically anywhere where a group of kids are being housed residentially uh, okay. and, mm-hmm. and cared for. Okay. So that is a pretty wide blanket statement. <laughs> you know, in a perfect in a perfect world, we would love for there to be zero child abuse. Period. Um, so that's like, that's our vision, but, but really how we do that is I, you know, at least as an organization, we're really trying to go after these, these facilities that are doing really egregious acts, um, and get those shut down first and then go after state uh, regulations that are going to give the systems that are going to exist forever, uh, like the juvie detention system, just provide mm-hmm. them a better uh, regulation and, and kind of guide mm-hmm. so that these kids have access to proper therapy. They have mm-hmm. access to report things when, when there is abuse mm-hmm. um, and that they're treated with dignity and respect because at the end of the day, like that's, that's really what this comes down to is that these kids are dehumanized. Where can people go to donate to Breaking Code Silence? So um, we are officially a nonprofit in the state of California. We're waiting on our federal um, nonprofit status. Uh, so once that comes, then our donations will be tax exempt uh, or, um, you know, you can claim them as tax exempt. Right, so yeah, right, yeah right. so with COVID things have kind of in the government, things have kind of slowed down. So they usually take, you know, a month or two. We're expecting that to come through in the next couple of months. So as of right now, just, just in a, in a effort to be fully transparent, we're not accepting donations just because we don't want to um, have that exchange of money and then potentially not, not get the federal for some reason. But we do expect that the federal will come through in the next couple months and then we'll be opening up to, to public donations. So I would just encourage people to kind of follow us on Instagram, Facebook, um, 
all of that. Twitter, we even have a TikTok team that's sharing stories of survivors. We love TikTok. Yes. <laughs> so just keep it, keep it in touch. Follow our website. It's breakingcodesilence.org. Um, and we'll definitely be making announcements about that. Um, we already have a number of uh, corporations and uh, private donors who are pledging that when that does happen, they want to be the first ones to to support us. So we're excited for that. Um, it should be just a matter of you know weeks until we're we're doing that. Well, we are so grateful for you coming to come on here and to just revisit all of that trauma yeah. from your past. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not mm-hmm. easy. And I, and I know that you've kind of taken it on as your job. Right. Uh, and that has got to be very emotionally taxing, but we really appreciate it. Um, you've this has been educated so wild thousands. And, yeah. yeah. And eye-opening. I'm, I'm going to, and anyone listening, have conversations with people about it, you know, read more into it. And, and I hope these documentaries come out. I feel like that's the way that people start mm-hmm. really getting passionate you know, about things. So um, like Ashley said, thanks for all that you do. Oh, thank you guys. It's I, I've listened to some of your podcasts and like, I love how casual and fun the conversations are. And it's so necessary that you take a step back sometimes and talk about the things that, you know, are a little bit more grungy and, and we don't, mm-hmm. we don't, it's not always comfortable to have these conversations, but it's so needed and so necessary. And so I thank you guys for, for bringing me on and giving us a platform yeah. to talk about this. Absolutely. And, yeah. Always. Yeah, We're we always like, open to it. Thank you. We like and to if do there's... a little bit of a balance, you know, some girl mm-hmm. talk and then some, <laughs> some heavy duty stuff. stuff well, yeah. I mean, this is like the biggest, one of the most important, I don't get it, you know, <laughs> this is a massive, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so right. thanks, Josh. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. If you want to be the most interesting person at the cocktail party, well, hop on over and listen to the Brain Candy Podcast. Our award-winning content will have you laughing while you're learning. We read all the best articles, books, and studies, and keep up with new TV shows, documentaries, and pop culture. And then we cram it all into two shows a week. Conspiracy theories, cannibal rabbits, unsolved mysteries, the history of the Walkman. There's something for everyone. The Brain Candy Podcast. Find our link in the show notes. Or simply search for the Brain Candy Podcast on your podcast app. I don't get it. Podcast.